Okay, so as I said, what I think we'll do now is focus on the different pshatim in the first small alf in Vayikra. So we'll do a half a letter today. Get a half a letter accomplished. It's also something. Oh. Vayikra al-Moshe, let's first read the Pesach. Vayikra al-Moshe, and he called to Moshe. What does it mean he called to Moshe? At the end of Parshas Pekudei, it says that when finally they they erected the Mishkan, so when it finally was erected, by Chal Moshe Samalacha, Moshe finished all of the work. By Chas and the cloud of glory covered the entire thing. Ukvoid Hashem Moleh Mishkan and Hashem's glory filled the entire Mishkan. Lo Yochol Moshe Lovo Hello Moed. And Moshe himself was not able to enter the Oel Moed at will. Because the cloud was there. And the cloud of Hashem's glory filled the entire Mishkan. So Moshe was not able to, um, to enter at will. Therefore, now that the Mishkan, which represented a portable Har Sinai, according to the Ramban, the Ramban says the purpose of having a Mishkan was that when they go through all their travels, they should take a miniature Har Sinai with them. So therefore, in, in essence, what you had over there was you had Har Sinai with the Shekhinah residing on top of the mountain, on top of the Mishkan, and Hashem's glory emanated from the Kodesh Kadoshim. Therefore, Moshe was not able to enter at will. He couldn't enter whenever he wanted to because the glory was there, just like by Har Sinai, when Moshe ascended the mountain, Hashem had to give him permission, he had to prepare himself for six days, then, uh, then finally he entered into the clouds. Likewise over here, Moshe was not able to enter. Therefore, the next logical thing is Vayikra. <coughs> Vayikra el Moshe, and Hashem called Moshe, although glaringly Hashem's name is not mentioned over there. It doesn't say Vayikra Hashem el Moshe. It says Vayikra el Moshe. That is Vayidabir Hashem el The correct way of writing it would have been or seemingly should have been Vayikra Hashem al Moshe Vayidabir Hashem calls Moshe and speaks to him. Instead, it says Vayikra al Moshe and he pronoun called Moshe. Then it says Vayidabir Hashem Elov and Hashem spoke to him. But actually, the Vayikra al Moshe, besides the fact that Moshe had to be called to be allowed to enter, is really an extra term used by the Pasuk to convey something else. Because after all, it should have just said Vayikra al Moshe Vayomer and he said. Vayikra Moshe is almost like a preamble, and he called Moshe. It's a Vaydabra Hashem, and Hashem spoke to Noel Moe. So, what does Vayikra Moshe therefore represent? So, Rashi tells us that Vayikra Moshe is a term of endearment. It's when you call someone and you say, Moshe, Moshe, Vayomer name. Avram, Avram, right? When you call someone in advance, therefore, the Loshan of Kriya is a Loshan Chiba, says Rashi. So therefore, Vaidabir Hashem Elov is the beginning of what Hashem speaks to him. The introduction to Hashem speaking to him is Vayikra Moshe, which tells us that there's a Kriya, Loshen Chiba, a way of endearment, the expression that's used by the Malachim, when the Malachim speak to one another to receive permission to say praise to Hashem, as we say in Kedusha, the Korah Zeh El Omar Kadosh Kadosh, where each one says, you know, to one another, can we do it? I give you permission, you give me permission, we empower each other. Therefore, by Moshe, 
the same term is used. Vayikroel Moshe. Hashem calls Moshe in an endearing term. But says Rashi, that by the Nevi'e Umas Ha'olam, even the greatest of the prophets of the nations of the world, the expression that's used over there is Vayikar. In Parshas Bolok, right? In Parshas Bolok, it says that when uh, Bilam wanted to have prophecy from Hashem, he would do whatever he had to, to in order to try to get this prophecy. And at that point, when the prophecy did come to him, he would use the term Vayikor Hashem El Bilam. Vayikor. Vayikor comes from the word Mikra, which means to meet, accidental, carry, carry, if you go with me, by way of carry, accidentally, happenstance, bumping around without special preparation. It says, by Yikor Hashem al-Bilam, Hashem bumps into Bilam. So to speak, as if it's without this endearing term, okay, you're here, I'll have what to tell you. It comes accidental. So therefore, the words by Yikor represents a, an accidental type of prophecy. Obviously, there's no such thing as accidents with Hashem. It was intended. But the fact that it uses the word Vayikar is a way of diminishing the the uh, significance of that particular revelation. Furthermore, Rashi says, the word Vayikar, of course, has, not only is it Aroi, which means accidental and temporary, but it means Tuma as well. Tuma because it's Tome. So the word Vayikar is carry, And carry being nocturnal emissions. Therefore, by Bilaam, we do find that Bilaam had to fall on his face when Hashem spoke to him because Bilaam was an oral. He didn't have a bris milah. And therefore, the Tumas carry his tumah was such that Hashem speaks to him in a manner where it's almost... In the Farshim, in, in it's brought down that Bilaam had a whole way of trying to invoke the Divine Spirit by doing all kinds of perversions. And by his perversions... Those were ways that he tried to get himself aroused in more ways than one in order to try getting the prophecy. So Vayikor El Bilam really represents a, a very degrading way of, of, of meeting the divine. By Moshe, it says Vayikor El Moshe. Moshe had the term of endearment like a malach, like an angel. Bilam has it the opposite. So the little Aleph, the Aleph that separates Vayikor from Vayikro is a very significant change because whereas by Bilam, it represents the lowest depravity, by Yikor El By Moshe, it represents the Korozel, Zevi Omar, Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. It represents the highest sanctity of angels greeting one another. Moshe was angelic, Bilam was Tomei. So both things are represented by the difference from Vayikor to Vayikor. One difference is the, the Tuma versus the Kedusha. The Kedusha of Moshe Rabbeinu being like an angel versus the Tuma of Bilam being carried by Yikor. And the other difference is that by Yikor represents preparation, endearment, whereas by Yikor represents happenstance. So both things are represented. That's why Rashi uses both words. Aroi v'tuma. Loshan aroi v'tuma. Aroi meaning accidental bumping, happenstance. By Yikor meaning prepared, endearing. And tuma, because by Yikor is carried, by Yikra, is the Amar Kodosh Kodosh. For that reason, Zog the Balatur, why is there a small Aleph? So the Balaturim, famous Balaturim is, you don't have the Balaturim there, I'll just read it for you over here, since it's, I didn't bother putting it down. So it's based on a Messiah, 
In fact, if you look on the page over here with all the pieces on it, if you look in the middle by the left, it brings down to the Medrash and Eichon. And it says the Messiah. The Messiah, of course, refers to the traditional way of, um, of having the Torah written out where Ezra Seifer, through a long tradition, says this is the way the Torah has to be written. So the Messiah is Aleph the Vayikra Ze'ira. The Aleph of Vayikra is written small. Ze'ira. It's all Aramaic, of course. Says the, the uh, Baaturim on that. Why was the Aleph written small? Shemay Shehoya Godl V'onav Lairatsa Lichtov Ela Vayikra. Moshe didn't want to give himself the credit of saying, Vayikra Moshe, I was called, I'm a special person. Therefore, he wanted to do, say, hey, let's leave it only as Vayikar, Loshen Mikra. As if to say, my prophecy is like, is only a Mikra, comes in the dream at night. Like it says by Bilam, as if Hashem only comes to him like that. Therefore, he wanted to write it Vayikar, to diminish himself. Hashem said to him, no, write Vayikra. You got to write the full thing. Lichtov gam alaf. Write the alaf as well. Yeshuv Amar lo Moishemach Masrei Vanova Sheitzavenu al Ketana Yosem Yishar Alf Hashem B'Tarav Mekos B'Ketana. He then gave him permission. Where Moshe says, nonetheless, Moshe didn't want to write the full alaf, so he allowed him to reduce the size more than the other alafs because of Moshe Rabbeinu's tremendous humility. So the alaf represents humility. Of course, we know that the letter alaf always. We know that when we talk about the different things in the Torah that start with an Aleph, so the days was the beginning of the Torah with Bereshus. The Aleph came complaining to Hashem and said, what about me? Hashem says, I'll start the Ten Commandments with you. Anochi Hashem al-Kechon. Aleph is Anochi. Or as we say in English nowadays, look out for number one. Who's number one? You, right? Me, rather. I'm number one. You're not number one. So uh, number one is always me, first person. That's what it always says. You're second person, I'm called first person. First person, that's Aleph. Aleph is one. So in a sense, that's really what's happening over here. Moshe is reducing the size of the Aleph, of the Onoichi, of the Ani, of the number one, of, you know, of the first person, namely himself. The one thing that you could do, in, in fact, is very appropriate for Pesach, as we shall see, because the one area where we find that a person has a right to, to go to an extreme is in humility. When it comes to humility, to reduce yourself, that you shouldn't be all puffed up and blown up like Chomets, as we'll see. The one place that you have a right to reduce is the Aleph. So Vayikra, that Aleph that Moshe reduced, but it's a very significant one because if you would take the Aleph out, it changes it from Vayikra to Vayikar. A total opposite change. But he reduces his Aleph. That's the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the famous Malatur. We shall see, though, that there are two different ways, two different lessons learned from this small Aleph, two different approaches right. to be used. So you're saying the contrast was, was with the other Nebiyim where the Banish Lam comes to them in a Chalam, here he's coming to them uh, directly to Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to him without a Chalam. That, th- that is true as well, but that's not exactly what we're talking about over here. That's the lesson of the difference between Moshe's Nebu and other Jewish Nebiyim. Here we're talking about where Moshe wanted to go to the extreme of not being giving himself the credit of having this endearing term. We're talking more of an emotional thing here rather than a philosophical one. But on the other hand, 
Okay, that's a good question. There's, there's other places where the words Vayikra is used as well, and that is question. But I, I started off in the beginning saying that Vayikra, uh, El, Vayikra El Moshe is a little bit of an unusual term being used over here. Because it says Vayidabra Hashem and therefore it's extra, it's placed in the context of the beginning of Sefer Vayikra in order to tell us as a lesson to be used throughout. And Moshe is always called like this. In other words, whenever the Torah uses extra phrases, it becomes lessons to be used, and we model after that particular lesson. So why he chooses over here is another question. Why in the beginning of Vayikra should we have this lesson taught to us? So we will talk about that as well. Let's, before we go do, let's take a look now at the words of the Ksav Seifer on the same page. Vayikra Moshe, because when we finish we'll see a few different shotten <coughs> what this means that this Aleph is small, and it's great significance. It's a small Aleph, but it carries a powerful and a large impactful, significant message. Vayikra El Moshe Alav Z'ira, small Alav, he says. Venerally Al Pidivri HaMedrash Rashi. He bases on the same Medrash that we just said. Venevi'e Umus O'ilom Ksivayikr Loshin Mikra Vatuma. The cost of Tarti Mikra Vatuma, we just pointed out both aspects of it. But he says it like this. South Cyprus says it slightly differently. Kiyidua. The call Hanavim Hoyutsrichin Hachona the Rabba Lunvua. All prophets, before they were able to achieve a state of prophecy, required some sort of a preparation. Prophecy does not come easily. You have to put yourself in the mood, and therefore they had all kinds of mood inducing things to get them prophecy. Part of it requires mental preparation, spiritual preparation, even emotional preparation. They would actually play music in order to bring them to the right mood. And therefore, you have to make great pains and great preparations to reach Nebuah. Until they were able to, to remove from themselves all physical bonds, then they were able to achieve the spiritual vision of Nebuah. Moshe was so holy and that's why he had to separate from his wife, because whereas most people prepare themselves for prophecy, in other words, they live in a physical state throughout life, then they have isolated instances of their lives where they become spiritualized, because you're a human being, generally. So there's no, we don't demand celibacy. When prophecy comes, as we know the same thing, when Aaron in, in Baloscha and Miriam spoke badly against Moshe, so it says Hashem comes to them pissing, you know, suddenly, like Bilam. And they, they had relations previously with their spouses, and they were Tomei. So they fell on their faces because they couldn't take the divine impact in the state of Tumah. So again, we have the same thing. When Hashem comes suddenly, there's a little bit of a connection over there. Human beings are in a state of Tumah, and therefore we have to prepare ourselves to purify ourselves in order to achieve a state of uh, purity. That's why we have Parshas Pora before Pesach to tell people in advance, you have a couple of weeks, make yourself tar because you've got to bring a Korban Pesach on Pesach. You have to prepare yourself. So Hashem's message to Aaron and Miriam with that was that's precisely why Moshe did it. Your, your complaint against Moshe is how come he thinks himself to be more than a normal mortal man? Hashem doesn't demand celibacy from anybody. The answer is you're right. Hashem doesn't. 
That's because most human beings are human and physical throughout their lives, and they have to prepare themselves for divine, for divine revelation. That's why you guys, when I give it to you suddenly, what's going to happen with you? You can't take it. Because you're Tomei. Moshe Rabbeinu always has to be in that state. He always has to be in a state of total purification. So they should always be able to receive the word of Hashem at all times. Therefore, we have to separate from his wife. That was the answer to their complaint against Moshe. But the truth is, we are against celibacy. But Moshe was an exception. Why was he an exception? Not because we view humanity as being something uh, sinful. But because the fact is, Moshe of necessity, always being connected to Hashem and always having to have to be ready for it, had to be in the state. It was a necessary um, exception. What's Tahar about that? Tahar is not the celibacy per se. Tahar is not having relations because Mikra, Keri, is Tumar. Why that should be Tumar, that's that, that, that's topic for different shows. Why it should be that that the act of creation of life should contain an element of Tumar. But as we've already once discussed on other occasions, that the... Um, after the Eitz Hadas, the Eitz Horror entered to such an extent, became so interbound with every aspect of Kedusha, and especially over here, that this is the one area where you can't be, you can be the biggest tzaddik in the world, but unless you think totally physical, you can't be a spiritual person and have relations and create a child. So, Pella, when you think about it, the creation of life has to come, that's the Dovra said, I was born an aspect of physicality that's in it, which is in contradiction to the total spiritual state that you have to be in to receive divine revelation. So this is, you know, it's an exceptional circumstance. We have to realize both elements exist in it. Yeah, but the act alone is physical. Yes. But that the also the active creation of life also implies the, the aftermath of death. Yes, that's also true. But again, that's the consequence. Because the act of the creation of life is imperfected as a result of this, it can't last forever. It doesn't have the nitzchis necessary to live forever. It's going to necessarily unravel by itself and rot away. Because anything with the Yetzirah is rot. We'll point out later on the difference between chometz and matzah. Although chometz is tastier and more beautiful, but it becomes stale. Matzah lasts much longer. And chometz is the Yetzirah. Anything with the eight Sahara in it, it clogs your arteries. I mean, it's great and wonderful at times, but it's very, very temporal. The whole eight Sahara is that. In fact, when we view the eight Sahara for, let's say, food, for example, it's called Hanoa's Gairin. When you think about it, what gives you the pleasure? You take this whole huge thing that you're stuffing down, and as it passes by the taste buds and tickles those taste buds on its way down, that's when you feel the flavor. But all that, you got to keep stuffing yourself more and more just to maintain that little pleasure of it tickling the taste buds. That, that, that's the nature of physicality. It's very temporary, and then you got to suffer the consequences of indigestion and everything else, and clogged arteries, for who knows how long. That lasts longer. Yes. <laughs> that's true <laughs> as well. <laughs> so therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't require this preparation, as we see the Pusik, where when they ask Moshe Rabbeinu, what's the halacha? One second. Let me hear from God. Imdu, stand here. The Eshmo Ma'itzav Hashem Lochem. By Benos Slavchot, they came to Moshe. How are we going to have the inheritance? Most good kasha. So what happens when you ask me a good kasha? I usually fake off a carrots or something like that. Moshe <laughs> Rabbeinu just says, "Let me go to the boss. Let me go straight to the source." 
So Moshe was always able to do that. Imdu ve'eshmo ma'ish tzav Hashem lochem. V'dabir Hashem el Moshe kashir yidabir ish al re'eyu v'lishem o'yvi etchila. When I speak to you, I don't have to say, Eddie, prepare yourself. I want to talk to you. Yeah. If you're ready. You speak to the guy. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem like one friend to the other. Without preparations. No preludes, no introductions, no preambles. Straight, direct, they spoke. Right? So therefore, just like two friends speak uh, without any introduction, without preparation, Anything that requires preparation can't be called an accident, a happenstance. After all, you're preparing for it, so you're expecting it to happen. Something that comes without preparation, that could properly be called accidental or a happening. Because it comes suddenly. Just like we pointed out that when Hashem spoke to Aaron and Miriam, so the expression that's used over there is, He came to them, Pisayim, suddenly. So suddenly means without preparation. Something with preparation cannot rightly be called suddenly. The point is that something that comes suddenly is when it's without preparation. Something that, that requires preparation can't be called suddenly. So if anything, Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy was a sudden prophecy. But he was always communicating with Hashem without having to make preparations. By Bilam, the reason why it's used by Yikra is because it happens in Mikra. But the difference, though, is the second part. Remember, we said by Yikra represents two things. Accident, happenstance, temporary, you know, bumping in, but also represents un- impurity, unholiness, the, the Tumas carry. By Bilam, the reason, uh, yes, it was accidental, but it came to him in a state of impurity. The difference is behind the mikra v'tuma. Avu b'moisha, hoyo b'mikra b'li hachonav azmana. By moisha, it was just the opposite. Yes, by moisha, Rabbeinu prophecy came to him b'mikra, so to speak. But the difference, though, was the reason is because moisha was always prepared. That's the difference. It was without any special preparation. Hoyo b'kedusha kolkach. He was like the angel, as we said. The Korozel Zevi Amar, Moshe gets called by Yikra because you're an angel. That Hashem was able to speak to him at any time with the Vayikra. The Chiba, He spoke to him like you speak to a friend with terms of endearment. Without preparation, he was always this beloved friend. Therefore, both things are true. There, by Moshe, there was a Vayikar that he spoke by Akroi without preparation. But there was also Vayikar with Chiba. Therefore, the Aleph is small that it should be both things. Vayikra and Vayikar. So, Ksav is telling us a beautiful thing over here. In point of fact, the Vayikar is true as well. Because by Moshe, it was a Vayikar. Point is, Moshe didn't require preparation. Eliyahu says he had to have a musician play. By he when the musician will start playing, and he gets worked up, and he gets more spiritualized, prophecy would, would descend upon them. Prophecy was something that they would work on and work on until it finally came. Moshe had it just like that, without preparation. 
So the Vayikor is true, and therefore it could have been written without the Aleph. On the other hand, the Vayikor also represents another darker element to it, like by Bilam. Not only did prophecy come to him suddenly, but it came to him in a state of impurity. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come in a state of impurity. Therefore, to use the full impact of the word Vayikor would give a false impression by Moshe. Yes, it came to him suddenly, but the suddenly wasn't because of an impurity. It was because of his total purity. He was always prepared. He deserves a Vayikra because he was an angel. That's why it could come suddenly. The reason why it could come a Vayikor by Moshe is because Moshe was really of the Korazel, Zevi, Amar, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's why you could have a Vayikor by Moshe because it was really always of the Korazel, Zevi, Amar, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. He was an angel. He was always prepared. So it would really be incorrect to say Vayikor also, because Vayikor implies lack of preparation and Tumah. Vayikor was always prepared, but Vayikor doesn't require a special preparation. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu was. There was an endearing nature between Hashem and Moshe. They were friends, and therefore it was Vayikor, but it was also Vayikra. Moshe Rabbeinu, in his humility, didn't want to give himself the credit of being a of being a uh, a person who was was on such an elevated state, but the truth is, what's he going to write instead? If he writes Vayikor, Vayikor would have to require Moshe to go from the state of where he was to the state of Bilam of impurity. On the other hand, Vayikor represents a middle point. So, in point of fact, it will be a little difficult what to really write over here. If you write Vayikor, it's also untrue because Moshe Rabbeinu was on an even more elevated state. He didn't want to say that about himself. He wanted to write Vayikar, but Vayikar would then imply all the way down to Bilam. So it's all solved by having a small alum. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to get in his humility, and the Torah is able to convey to us all the points, namely Moshe's humility, Moshe Rabbeinu's tremendous level of endearment, and Moshe always being prepared that he does deserve a Vayikar, but a totally different Vayikar than the Vayikar of Bilam, or the Vayikor that Hashem, when he appears suddenly, the time to to Aaron and Miriam. Moshe Rabbeinu was Korazel Zevi Amar. This was the unique level of Moshe, and he was a little embarrassed to write it. Hashem told him to write a small owl. Why? Because the small owl tells the whole story. So the small owl does say the whole story. That's a beautiful shot from the Ksav Seifer in what it represents. Now, if Moshe was an Ishtaho Tam, I didn't say it was Tam. Who but said he was Tam? If he's Taha, he will also be pure, wouldn't he? Pure. Tam. Pure as Tahar, yeah. All right. So if he said Noah was an Ishtam, yes. how do you compare the two? You don't. He wasn't an Ishtaho. Who wasn't? Noah. Noah. He draws a distinction between Noah and Moshe in a different manner. Meshachachma says that Moshe starts off being called an Ish Mitzri and he ends up being an Ish Elokim, whereas Noyach starts off in the opposite direction. He's, an, he's, as you said, an Ish Tam and he ends up being an Ish Adoma. But, I mean, we're not going to go cover it. We can't cover the life of Moshe in one shmooz here. We're focusing on one thing. Yes. I understand with Moshe. If Dylan was such a degenerate, then it's a good kasha. How do you? How does Bilam have prophecy in? That's, that's a discussion for what? Cock's crow. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he remembers the shear, but the cock's crow. But but that, that that's a separate topic. You're right. I mean, we can't discuss the vu now either. Totally. 
just focusing on one thing. But you're right. I mean, we have to understand how Moshe's prophecy and how different from other prophets and how Bilam fits into it, especially Chazal saying Bilam was almost in certain ways parallel to Moshe. These are all different things to be discussed about Bilam. We're just focusing on a few little points over here, tiny little aleph. In fact, at this point, let's turn to the other side of the page and do another part of the Ksav Seifer. Also from the Ksav Seifer, on the, all the way on the right. It's based on the following Medrash. A Kavaltigil Medrash here. Medrash Rabbah. Again, we just got done saying, Vayikro El Moshe. So the Medrash sees a, a significance in that alone. This is Vayikro El Moshe. And he called unto Moshe. Vayidabre Hashem Elok Hashem speaks to him. So again, what is this preamble, this introduction of Vayikro El Moshe? The Medrash sees into something else. Um... By Yikra, what does that mean? He said the word Moshe. Oh. I mean, says the Medrash. Uh, says the Medrash. Moshe had ten names. Ten names. Let's read the top of the page. Asara Shemus Nikulu Moshe. Yorat, Hever, Yikusiel, Avigdor, Avisaychai, Avi, whatever goes on and on. Yorat, Lukishari, the Satar Mulamalamata. Each name represents something else about him. Avigdor Avim Shalgaidrim Chavish Shachibur Esabon Mishma Shmaim. It goes on and on. Now, first of all, let's understand what that means. Moshe, ten names, five names. You know, running deer who, um, who who ran over the white buffalo on his way to to, to, to flying with the eagle and the yeah. What, what do names mean? Ten names are significant. When you name someone, you're trying to define their essence. You're defining their essence. Certainly, names in the Torah are definitive in the sense that it's trying to say this is what the person is this is your mission in your in life in a sense it says you have you get three names names that your parents call you names that your people call you names that Hashem calls you it represents how we view a person Adam or Hisham gave the animals their names it was considered a very significant act because by giving by naming the animals he was trying to define what their essential characteristics are with those names a true name defines the feature of what this person is in a, in a sense, it's your mission in life. Yehuda, people should acknowledge you. Levi, each name represents a mission in life. Moshe did enough for ten people. He had ten different missions, ten different names. It's even nowadays, you know, when, when, the, when you're knighted, the king or the queen grants you another name. Champion of champions, you know, slayer of dragons. And therefore your name now becomes Edward Dragon Slayer Chernoff. He slew a dragon. So Moshe Rabbeinu had ten names. That's that's what it means that he had ten names. Now you can understand Vayikra al Moshe. Omar lo Hakadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, "Le Moshe, Chayecha, as you live, Mikol Shemu Sheyeshloch, amongst all of your names that represent tremendous things about you, Eini Kairoch Elo B'Shem Shikorosoch B'Siyah Bas Paro, V'Atikra Shmei Moshe, Havoy Vayikra al Moshe." The name that I'm going to call you by is the name that Paro's daughter gave you. Out of all your names, and each one represents a tremendous thing. What did Bisyabas Paro do? She took a kid out of the water. She didn't even know what she was doing. She was adopting a child. And she said, Moshe, I took him out of water. Hashem said, that's the name that I like the most. Vayikro el Moshe, says the message. Vayidabra Hashem Elon. Hashem speaks to him. But before he says, he says, Moshe is the name I'm going to call you by. Out of all the names, I'm going to give you the name of that shiksa that pulled you out of the water. Not even the name your mother called you. Because your mother called you Tuvia when he was born. 
the, he saw the Bayariel Kitai, he saw the name was Taif, and the house lit up. So she called him Tuvia, a bunch of other names. No, no, the name that the Shiksa gave you, Moshe, she pulled you out of the water. That's the name that I'm going to call you by. So there's a number of different understandings of why Hashem chooses that name. Perhaps because Bisya herself became Basko, daughter of God, so to speak. And her act of, of saving the Savior of the Jews and going against the decree of Paro in itself was a remarkable thing. So she deserved with her act to have the child called by her act of, of, um, of almost, well, I mean, almost rebellion, chesed, but it's going against. Lixav Seifer says a different, interesting shot over here. Vayikro al Moshe, Zok Lixav Seifer, Isa Bialkut, Kama Shemus Hoyolo al Moshe, Vachoshev Shamasar, Shemus Total of Ten Names, Omar Kodesh Borchum Yikulon, in any Kara Lucho, Rak Mashem Shlos Lucho, Vasparo Shnema Vayikro Hashem al Moshe, Hashem called him Moshe. Just like it says, Vatikro Shmoy Moshe, she called him Moshe, Hashem says, Yeah, that's the one I like. Vayikro el Moshe. Okay. As he says over there, So he has different names. Why did Hashem choose this name? Why not the name that his biological mother and parents gave him? He says, because there's something unique about this name. What is that? Then nearly, he says like this. In the Omru Chazal, the Shas, the Dorm, the Gemara says the following rule. Omru Bidah. Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Masho Shechinosai. When does a person get the Shechin, the divine inspiration for prophecy? You have to have a number of character traits and qualities. What are they? Elo Al Gibor. You have to be a Gibor. Strong, powerful person. Chocham. You have to be wise, osher, and you have to be wealthy. Go on up, and you have to be humble and modest. The cool of the Moshe, and Moshe was all of them. Now, possibly one could understand this Chazal. Masha Shkinos, what is that? Masha. Now, one could theoretically say, Possibly that the words Chacham, we understand, you have to be a Chacham. Gibor, and I, and I think the Rambam learns like this. I think the Rambam and Shemayin of Prochim learns. Gibor doesn't literally mean strong and powerful. It means Ezel, Gibor, True power is the ability to control yourself. The truth is the two go hand in hand, as we see by Shemshina Gibor. As long as he was a Nazir, he was able to rein in his Taivas and Yetzirah, he was physically strong as well. One parallels the other. So Gibor could be understood to mean the true Gibor, the one that battled the Yetzirah. Oshir, wealthy, that's what wealth means. Hasamech B'chalka, exactly. Hasamech B'chalka, to be a happy person with what you have. So therefore, that already makes sense. You have to be controlling your Yetzirah, you have to be a happy person with your lot in life, you have to be humble, you have to be wise. That makes sense. However, a lot is understood literally as well. He's going to give us a very interesting shot in it literally. So he asks the Kasha, My mal Osher. What does Hashem care about a rich person? What is wealth? Hashem says, Oh, he's wealthy. I'm going to, you know, we do this kind of stuff. We'll make him a president of a shul if he's wealthy. Or we'll give him all kinds of, you know, of uh, guests of honor. But I mean, Hashem doesn't do that. He 
strong. Hashem is impressed with a person's strength. So he says like this. Interesting shot. It's unquestionable that the main level that a person requires to achieve prophecy is humility. Because humbleness of spirit is greater before God more than bringing all, all sacrifices. As we shall see, the relationship between humility and sacrifice, what that is, that's in another piece, we'll see. But, there's a passage that says it clearly. The sacrifice that Hashem wants is the broken spirit. If you break your spirit, that is the sacrifice that Hashem wants. As the passage continues over there. So therefore, the purpose of all, as we shall see, the purpose, according to the Ramban, of all sacrifices to bring a sense of humbleness and humility. So humility is the greatest thing that a person could do for Hashem, is the greatest service to lower yourself. That's the greatest thing you can give to HaKadosh Baruch Now we also know... What? Tehillim. So now... We therefore know that Moshe was praised precisely for his humbleness and humility above and beyond all those other people. That's the reason why he achieved the highest level of prophecies. Because this is what Hashem desires. It is an abomination to Hashem, those haughty of heart. Now, he explains it very simply because of the fact that Hashem desires humility, so the more humble you are, you'll, you'll get greater prophecy, since that's the greatest quality that a person could achieve. But the truth is there's another aspect to it, which is not only a reward for your humility, but it's a necessary component. What is a prophet? A prophet is a transmitter of the word of Hashem. As long as you consider yourself to be something before God, so you consider yourself to be a separate entity, so to speak, it's going to interfere and it's going to run static and interference with the word of Hashem being transmitted through you. That's why Avram says, I'm a worm, or I'm offer vapor, Dov says, I'm a worm. But if you feel your essence to exist, then you can't be a total transmitter. There's going to always be something there to interfere and to give static and to garble the message. Only when you're a clean conduit, when you're nothing other than a pipeline, because when you look up to it, that has nothing to do with thinking lowly of yourself. You don't have to be a fool and think I'm a garnish. That's when you're looking at other garnishes around you. So you could say I'm a bigger garnish than you are. One ant, the carpenter ant, looks at the other ant and says, hey, that's a tiny ant. But when that boot comes down upon it, squishing it, the carpenter ant is going to get squished even faster than the other ant. The other one might hide it in the crack somewhere. The carpenter ant becomes mush. Right? That's what happens. So you look at the other guy and you say, I'm bigger than you. And you look up at that boot coming down, you're a garnish. And you're a bigger garnish as a result of that. So therefore, you don't have to be a fool and to think that, oh, everybody in the world is better than me. You're a garnish. I'm, I'm a nothing. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu knew who he was. But the more you know who you are and the more you know who Hashem is, the more you realize you're nothing. It's, it's quite obvious. The greater your awareness of Hashem, the greater you realize what you are, that you're so insignificant. Precisely because you're great, you're going to be humble. 
That's the key. The greater you are, the more humble you have to be. It's only lesser people that are going to be, you know, the, the garbage collector. The statement that Chayesh Lutz always says, you know, oh, I'm the one that takes it from there, and he's the one that throws it into the dumpster. You know, this is Narish Kite. You ever see Baal fight over Aliyahs and Shul? Shishi, Rebidi, Chamishi, Shishi. It's Narish Kite. You know it's Narish Kite. Petty people make big things out of petty things. Right, Bill? Because they're nothing. They're garnished. They're small people, so all these things mean something to them. Because they're so tiny that they're sitting, you know, they have to look up to look down practically. They're so small. But they're sitting on the curb in the gutter, and every little piece of dirt is massive by them. The great person that rises above it all and comes closer to Hashem sees that everything is petty. So the greater you are, the more aware you are of Hashem. The more aware you are of Hashem, the more humble you have to be. Not relative to other human beings, because you realize that they're petty. But <laughs> big deal. So he's petty. I'm, I'm going to start Hashem. So the greater you are, the greater your humility is going to be. And therefore, the greater the transmitter you can be to Hashem. Number one, because you are closer to Hashem and more aware of Hashem. And number two, you've cleaned out that pipeline so it transmits things without any kind of static and interference. No garbling of the message. So the more you are humble to Hashem, it's a, it's a sign of your awareness to Hashem, but it also means you'll be a better transmitter because you've negated of yourself and you are His. But if you're His pipeline, that in itself makes you great. So therefore you have the paradox of humility and greatness working together. Because to be a pipeline of Hashem is something pretty choshem. But to be a pipeline, you have to negate yourself. So you have this paradox of sorts, where by negation of self, you become the greatest. That's how you become so great, because you've negated yourself to Hashem. So therefore, there's a logic to the fact that that humility and prophecy go hand in hand. He's saying it more in the sense that since it's such a great character trait, that's what Hashem desires, He rewards you, so to speak, with prophecy. Now, this is a very interesting point. Shval Ruach A person who's of lowly spirit, that's not, by the gap over there, that's not the perfected form of humility. Because it never came about from a conquest of spirit. It comes about from a lowliness of spirit. A person who is wealthy, and he is wise, he's a powerful person. He has every every quality that everybody looks up at. He's handsome, he's a model, he's strong. I mean, wherever you go, everybody respects this kind of person. Those that respect money, this guy's wealthy. Those that respect strength, he's strong. Those that respect looks, those that respect wisdom, respect him. So he's a person that's respected by everybody. And he then humbles himself. It means he has to fight against that chomets in his heart, against that Yetzirah. That is true humility. To be a lowly person because you are a lowly person is no kunz. Right? It says, <coughs> Hashem loves those that those men that make themselves into animals. They follow Hashem blindly like an animal. But it's no kunz to be an animal if you don't have a mind. To follow mindlessly like a sheep. The kunz is if you're wise and smart and you make a sheep out of yourself. That's something. But to be a sheep because you are the brains of a sheep, that's no mila. That's why Avram Avinu was considered much greater than everybody else. Because Avram Avinu came to a recognition of Hashem through brains, through wisdom, through philosophy. He came to an understanding of Hashem. And he negated his mind to do the Akedah Yitzchak. That's a tremendous quality. 
for us, you know, because a lot of people would say, ah, what's the big deal what Avram did? I mean, he's like one of these cultists, one of these moonies, one of these uh, chorus uh, people, right? He's, he's following blindly like a sheep. He's a fundamentalist. Most fundamentalists now are fundamentalists because they have the minds of our, uh, their coarse, crude minds. They're, they're not defined and sophisticated. Find a sophisticated person who's able to subjugate his mind. That's where you got true humility. That's where you got true subjugation of self. Avram Avinu, as great as he was, Hashem tells him something. It doesn't make any sense, but he goes ahead and he does it. That is true subjugation of self to Akkadish Baruch Hu. Not to mindlessly follow and say, oh, okay, the devil made me do it and I heard voices and told me to kill my kid. There are a lot of those people around. A lot of people around. It's a big kunst to kill your child. And any hilarious could do it, right? They, they, they all go out now. I mean, they, they, they throw their kids in dumpsters. But go find the person that loves a child that'll throw his kid in a dumpster. For him to do it, it's a shver zach. So for the mindless idiots to do it, it's nothing. The person that loves his child and does it, that's something. Not people that are behemoths to start with, but b'nei odom, people that are human and have brains of humans and make themselves like that's a tremendous quality. To be humble in spirit because you're a garnish, you're a lowly person, it's nice quality. But that's not true humility. True humility is to sit on top of the world and subjugate yourself. Says the Ksavsite for a beautiful shot, therefore, with this. We're by that gap there. The next line. Next. I don't You have all of these qualities. You have what to to feel arrogant about. You have what to feel conceited and blown up about. Because other people don't have it. And even with all of these qualities, you humble yourself. That is the anova that Hashem chooses and rewards with giving the Shekhinah. That's what he's saying over here. What does it mean that you have to have these qualities to be to be a um, to be a novi? It's like the zeros. Right? We always say about yichus. Yichus is like zero. Power to all the other ones. If it remains with the zeros and you don't add the one, then you got zero. If you add the one at the end of all the zeros. Then you've turned it into thousands and millions. It's the same thing over here. Gibar, Chacham, Asher. They're all zeros. But you put the Onav in front of it. That's a real Onav already. Now you got a powerful Onav. You got an Onav that's a million. Right? If you only have one quality on Asher and you put an Onav in front of it, you're a ten. If you put two qualities in front of it, you're a hundred. You put three qualities in front of it, you're a thousand. But each one of these things is nothing. So what was our Kasha? Hashem cares for an Oshir, a Chacham. He cares for these things, for a Gibor. You're right, Hashem doesn't care for that. Because it's all zeros. But if you're an Anav with all of that, you have changed all those zeros into a thousand, into a million. That's what gives the Anivas greater impact. That's the Anav that Hashem wants to give. But he, again, He's only explaining it based on what we just said. But based on what we said earlier, we could add to it. Namely, that what exactly is Nebuah? Is the negation of self by recognition of the greatness of Hashem. The only way that this person, who is a chacham, gibor, osher, relative to everybody else, negates himself 
is by looking up to Hashem. He obviously has a tremendous awareness of that big boot that's over him. He has a tremendous connection to Hashem to realize that his gibor, chacham, and usher is garnished. The same way that Hashem realizes that it's garnished, he realizes it's garnished. It's only vis-a-vis the rest of mankind, relative to everybody else, that you could feel there's something to my, my good looks and something to my whatever it is. All of that is only because everybody else considers it something. So when you're a small, petty person, you think you're great. If you're close to Hashem, all this is nothing. Then you truly deserve nevuah. So the greater you are in this, and the more you negate yourself, and the closer you come to Hashem, and the greater awareness that you have, and the more negation of self and fighting of the Yitzhahara, that's something already that deserves nevuah. That's what it means. Hashem gives nevuah to a person that has these qualities. Not these qualities, but on, of, on top of that. That's what makes all the other ones have something. But it's the Anivas that does it. That's the Chiddush of the Ksav Seifer. It's the Anivas that does it. These are all ways of enhancing the Anivas and giving you what to work on. That's what my Rabbeinu was, as we shall see. In fact, it says, it's really a Pasuk in Yirmiya. We, we say it in the Haftarah. Don't praise yourself for being a gibor. Don't praise yourself for being a chacham, being an usher. Praise yourself for knowing me. In other words, focus on going up to Hashem, a greater awareness. Then the other qualities are also something. But if you focus on... Okay. So that's he's going to get to them. But he just explained a beautiful chazal. <coughs> Next paragraph. V'nei k'siv o'ish Moshe onov mo'ed mikol adam ashal p'nei adama. Moshe was the most humble of all people. Next part we'll just run through quickly the next two lines. Pligi b'yakut pligi chad omar loy me'ovus v'chad omar yaisim me'ovus. Question of was he greater in humility than the ovus? Omru chazal k'siv b'avr mavinu. Avram showed his humility by calling himself dust. How do we see Moshe's humility more? I don't really understand the difference between calling yourself dirt or calling yourself nothing. To me, it sounds the same. He says, I gave another explanation of this. It bothered you also? Yeah. But the truth is, I already gave an explanation of that. Because the idea over here is not what's lower. The idea of, do you feel an existence other than Hashem? A total submission to Hashem where your pipeline allows Nevoah. Whereas if you feel you're something, that you exist, that means there's an existence outside of Hashem. Whatever, that's not negated to us. But now that's the South Cyprus, a better cash even. So if that's the case, Aaron is in the same boat as Moshe. Because Aaron and Moshe together said, Vanachlomo is plural. What are we? We're nothing. So Aaron was the same one of his Moshe. And he points out even more than that. Firstly, Aaron also said, Vanachlomo. But beyond that, we see what Aaron came to. He was the older brother. He was not jealous of Moshe. Hashem actually testifies to Moshe saying, Aaron will be happy at your greatness. So you see that Aaron was obviously a humble person. He says, I'll say the following. Even if you have all of these qualities that we said earlier, 
you're a wealthy, powerful person. But the Yeshlamal is goyis, and therefore you have what to become arrogant. Mikomokom. But if you had to work your way up from rags to riches, you have to work your way up from rags to riches. And you have to suffer, and you have to toil, and you have to work your way up. Which the tendency of this hard work and toil is to break the person. And it gives you a little bit of humility. People that go through this learn humility from the world. One could say that their humility is a quality which they developed along the way as well. The even when he becomes wealthy later on, although some people forget their humble beginnings and become arrogant, but the person that doesn't forget his humble beginning is humble because of his humble beginning, so to speak. He has a better shot at retaining his humility. This is the way he had to work his way and develop. What about the person that was pampered, wealthy, he's a prince, right? Prince Charles, these kind of people. He was brought up in wealth, covered, he had all kinds of covered, and he was personally great as well. So not only does he have the external qualities, he has the internal qualities as well as the external qualities. All of that leads to a very conceited, arrogant person and a very ambitious person. Therefore, the Ovos, as humble as they were, had humble beginnings. They had to work their way up. Each one had was pursued. Avram had to run away from Nimrod. Yitzchak had Yishmoel. Yitzchak had the Plishtim that were always, you know, causing him tzaras. Yaakov, we all know, had Lavan, right? Arami Ovedovi. He had Esav. So their humility results from their background as well. Their their character traits result from that. Even Aaron, Noilin Vinizgadl the Golos, wherever it was Aaron born, he was born of slave stock, the Jewish people. He understood what it means to be humble when he sees all of his brethren working and toiling in the bricks. His humility was a natural one. Ah, not Moshe Rabbeinu. He was drawn out of this water. Right? He was drawn out of this water from, by Basparo. He was brought up like a prince, Kiben Melech. He was the royalty. And she brought him up royally. She treated him like a child, like a son. He wasn't subjugated. And we know that even afterwards, he was royalty. When he ran away, he went to Ethiopia. He became king of Ethiopia. King of Shrana. But he was king over there. It was something. <laughs> So he didn't have, he had what to be there. Therefore, his humility was one that he had to develop and work on himself. We all, I once said over the famous medrash that no one ever found other than Pharisee Sirol, where he talks about the artist that makes a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu and gives him all the evil characteristics. Until they meet Moshe and the king, and Moshe tells the king, you're right. I had it all, and I had to work on myself and break every single last one of them. The name Moshe represents this. 
He was called by his parents, Taiv, Tuvi, whatever. But the Shtak Hashem that name was forgotten. The name that he was known throughout all of Egypt was Moshe. Because that's the name that she gave him. V'nikr b'shem Moshe. Shenos n'aloi b'syo basparo. Kishem n'zgadl. Kishem n'zgadl. This is what he was brought up with. And he lived in the household of Paro. Nevertheless, he was humble. And with this humility, he became a nevuah. And therefore, he got the call of Vayikra. Hashem calls him with endearment. Terms of endearment. Therefore, Hashem says, What name will I call you with the terms of endearment? The name that represents what your true essence is. And that's Moshe. I'm going to choose this name more than all the other names that you have. Because this is the name that shows why you are Moshe. Because you worked on yourself. You started off Moshe, Prince of Egypt. And you decided one day, I'm going to go out and look at my brethren. And rather than forgetting who you are, and forgetting your identity, and assimilating into Egyptian society, which you could have, you didn't assimilate into Egyptian society. I'm going to go look at their pain, and their pain will be my pain. And as a result, he loses whatever he could have become. And he had to run away, and he was pursued, and he gave it all up against his nature, against his upbringing, plus he was wealthy, plus he was a chacham, plus he was a gibor. He had all of these internal as well as external qualities, and he nonetheless became a moshe. So Vayikra, he came to the level of the small aleph. Right? The humility of Moshe comes shining through of all this. Vayikra, the small elf, on top of all of this, the Korozel Zebamar, Kodosh, Kodosh, you become so holy, and you're still humble. What, what's that humility? That's Moshe. Vayikra El Moshe, that lowly name you're slept out of water by Mishya, but what you turned yourself into, that's the name that Hashem chooses. Therefore, the two aspects of Vayikra, El Moshe, go hand in hand. The small elf, with the name Moshe, it all comes together and works hand in hand. This is the name that Hashem chooses. This comes from the Sefer Darkei Musar, and he bases the small Aleph on the words of the Ramban when the Ramban writes about Korbanus. After all that we've learned, what does this have to do with Vayikra? Why is Vayikra the appropriate place to give the message that we've learned? He says like this, Kos of Ramban, what is Korbanus all about? People thought, deed, word. When a person sins, whatever it is. In other words, you have to bring a korban. I'm just reading through this part quickly because we want to get to the next part. You put on the limbs. You sprinkle the blood, it's your blood on the Mizbeach. What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to arouse the person. To make a person aware that I have sinned against Hashem and what the consequence of sin is. In fact, sin is an animal act. When you take and you destroy the animal of the Mizbeach, you're saying, I sunk to the level of an animal, and as an animal I deserve to die like this animal. But there's a human component of me that shouldn't have sinned. I deserve all this to happen to me. And therefore, when you look at the altar and you see these things happening, you should imagine yourself in its place. Hashem did me a favor and allowed me to replace myself with an animal. But the truth is, it was the animal in me that did it. The keeper, a korban hazeh, she tachas domoy, nefesh tachas nefesh, rosh eve a korban, kneged rosh eivorov, his limbs are my limbs, his blood, his life is my life. What's it all supposed to do to a person? 
Next paragraph. When he realizes all of this, and he realizes what will happen to the animal and the carbon should be happening to you, it awakens the person to do tshuva. What is tshuva? To take that oral in your heart and to subjugate it to the bore. So you reach the level of that's the last part of the Pasik that we quoted earlier. The true sacrifice of Hashem is a broken spirit. The humble heart Hashem doesn't reject, doesn't revile. When when Shaul comes back to Shul with all the animals of Amalek, what does Shul say? Does Hashem need all these animals? Hashem's looking for sacrifices. He wants the heart. He's not interested in the sacrifices. We're starting off Sefer by Yikra to tell us what the Avoidus HaKorbanus are about. But the aim of all the Avoidus HaKorbanus, as the Ramban says, is Zivchei Aleikim Ruach Nishbara. Leiv Nishbar Venitke Aleikim Loisivze. Hashem doesn't reject the humble heart. That's the purpose of the Korbanus. So when you look at the Korban, it should teach you humility. Therefore we start off Ayikra Ba'alav Zir with a small Aleph. Ramzalan Wa'atayran. To tell us, that the first and foremost rule of all Karbanas as an introduction to Vayikra is be a Moshe. That's what Vayikra is about. We're going to learn the laws of Karbanas. These aren't just ways out of trying to get around Hashem and you can continue with your life whatever you want. What Hashem wants from you is the small Aleph. Vayikra. Hashem wants that tiny Aleph. That's all He wants. That's all you can really offer. Aleph. Yourself. The Yonaychi. The number one. Reduce it. Small. Make it diminish it. That's all Hashem wants. That's what all the Korbanas are here to do. So this is the perfect introduction to Vayikra. Sheklal Rishon Ba'aboaz Korban Hu Hashiflo Vachnok Nias Midas It's the humility to be humble, to achieve the level of, of being a person who is humble and subjugated to Hashem. And he brings down over here about how even the garbage collectors have a sense of conceit. A person has to work on himself. Next paragraph. He brings down the Balaturim, they want to write Vayikar, as if to say that Hashem only comes to him also by happenstance. Hashem says, write Vayikra. But because of Moshe's great humility, he reduced the level of the Aleph and changed it into a low, small Aleph. Therefore, the Torah says later on, Ho'ish Moshe onav mo'id mikol adam that Moshe was the most humble of all human beings. Zehu Yisoyed Inyan HaKorbanus. That's what Korbanus are all about. All the Korbanus are about what happened in the beginning of Ayikra. Moshe just finished erecting the base of Mikdash. And the Shekhinah comes down. And no one is able to enter. And all of a sudden the call goes out. Ayikra El Moshe. And Moshe is humble and doesn't even want to accept that. And writes a small out. That's what all the Korbanus are about. That's why we have the Mishkan. That's why we have the base of Mikdash. That's why we have Korbanus. In order... Look at Moshe, the small Aleph. So he says like this. Let's talk now about Matzah and Chometz. He brings down from the Lomzer Mashgiach. It's the nature of Chometz to be blown up with Poyach, to be blown up. Just like the Yetzer that fluffs you up. It, it blows you up. It's a blossom, right? You're a, you're a blown up person. But what happens is, when things that blow up, eventually the bubble bursts, 
And therefore, what happens to chametz? You blow up a beautiful, fresh challah, and after a while it starts to become stale and hard, and no longer has what you intended it for. That's the nature of the Yetzirah. The nature of the Yetzirah is hakina, hataivu, v'akovat, metzina, sadam, and olam. These things pull you out of the world. For a while, they look good. And they look very, very, you know, uh, it's, it's delicious, it looks good, it's, it's very um, persuasive, it's very tempting. But after a while, it starts to be misapish, it starts to rot, <coughs> it starts to stink, it starts to smell, and it starts to wither away. Hataiv is all the times that a person has rot the soul of a person, and they mess up his life physically as well as spiritually. As the Ramam says, most illness is self-induced. We do it to ourselves. And what does it to ourselves? The time is. The time is caused people, you know, nowadays it's called substance abuse. But what it boils down to is it's abuse. It's abuse of yourself. That's time. Time is that. That's why you don't need any special person to say don't take drugs. Drugs is the antithesis of Torah. That's, that's why Ben Saramor is killed. He's killed because he didn't really do anything wrong other than we see this as his nature. And when a person is a, becomes a drug addict, what did you do? What sin did you violate? Show me. Your Ben Sire is what you are. You're going in the opposite direction from the tyrant. And therefore, it rots you away and you wither away and it spoils to the point of where when Tina saw them in Oilam, you lose it all. So he brings out an interesting muscle from Reb Chaim Brisker over here. Reb Chaim Brisker says, this is the way they used to have it in his days. The soldiers of the Tsar were the Cossacks. Excuse me, when you say he brings down. Yeah. He says, the Cossacks where each Cossack was given a, a horse. You, know, you can imagine a war horse. And they would ride the horses, and each one had his own particular horse. The job of the Cossack was you got to take care of your horse. Right? You have a horse, you got to take care of it, you got to clean it, you got to pamper it, you got to comb it down and brush it and guard it with your life. Make sure it's healthy. And you know how to sell the horse, and you know how to just use it for yourself. Could only use it for whatever it's supposed to be used for. Said Reb Chaim Brisker, he says, so how does it work? The Kozak has a horse or the horse has a Kozak? He says, each horse has a Kozak to serve it. You don't say that the Kozak owns a horse. The horse owns a Kozak because it serves it. He says, we're humans. We're the Kozaks. And we have tithes. We have horse-like instincts. Well, which way is it? The human is supposed to own his tithes and be master of his tithes instead of the other way around. Our tithes have people over them to do with, to, to tend to them, to tend to every time. You know, you pam- the people say they pamper themselves, not pampering themselves. They're pampering their tithes. I take good care of myself. I do my nails. It's your tithe. You have a tithe to do this and you do that. I, I go into my bubble bath for three hours. Look, the shop is Kaidish, of course, it's okay. But uh, <laughs> no, we don't mean anybody here in particular. We mean anybody that might do such a similar thing. People that pamper themselves aren't pampering themselves. They are humans that are tending to their horses, is what they are. They are the horses that own the Kozak. My horse, my Taiva owns a Kozak. Me. It owns me. In fact, there's a book written by psychologists about this, the mind-body question. What are you? Are you a mind with a body attached, or are you a body with a mind attached? Same kind of an issue. Are you your tithes with a man attached that has to tend and pamper to the thing and therefore you use your seichel to find all kinds of ways of pampering your tithes or to use your tithes as you're supposed to? That's what he said. The sus has a kozak that, that serves it 
not that the Kotel comes a source. Same thing, the Targums have a person. All of this comes with the Chomets and the Matzah. Chomets, that's what a Chomets is. It's the blown up thing that withers and rots away. What's Matzah? Matzah is very, very humble. It doesn't rise, it's low, it doesn't look as delicious, it doesn't taste as delicious, but it lasts. It lasts. It maintains its nutrition. The matzahs that you're going to be eating on Seder were made months ago. And you're going to be commenting, oh, this delicious matzah, I like the shawarma this year. It's not so good. It is good this year, but it retains itself. By the way, the ones that are soggy, it's because they're stored in basements. Don't blame it on the matzah. But they last much longer. It doesn't blow itself up, and it doesn't make itself into a whatever. But whatever it is, it's sneezing, it's quiet, but it lasts. Ushmar temesamatzahs. Guard the matzah, shmura, make it last. Chomets, fluff is that matzah. The guy that asks for a fluff, it's just a little bit of a sign as to what you're looking for. <laughs> if that horse talking to the Kozak, come and give me more fluff. There's an interesting, before we do the other shot that we're going to use, there's a, there's a beautiful chsam cipher over here. Let's learn the chsam cipher. He says an interesting thing here, the chsam cipher. Agden mashomru chazal. We find an opposite thing. The sin that the that the Nisim did by by Kabbalah Satorah, it says that the Sanhedrin, that the Nisim, or the uh, or the Rosh Yamatos, they went up and they saw Hashem, and they ate and they drank with a haughtiness of spirit, and not of Navi were amongst them. Hashem didn't punish them immediately; He punished them later on. Not of Navi died by the dedication ceremony. The other ones, the Rosh Sanhedrin, died by the sins by Korach in that time. But in any case, so we find that they sinned with Vayechzus and Okim. They saw with, with, they gazed, so to speak, with an with the air of haughtiness and arrogance. Vayoychlu Vayishtu, and they ate and they drank. And it says, Mesu Nodav Aviyu B'chalukas HaMishkan. Nodav Aviyu died in Kedisav HaMedesh Vayikra. And it says, V'latzila B'nei Yisrael, because of what they did, because that they, that they, allow themselves to, to take pleasure from viewing Hashem and they died later on. Let's get to the parentheses. Our people shoot this. Is it like this? We know Pashat is why, why did Nodav and Aviyu die? Why did they die? Because they went they in they brought an unauthorized fire into the inner sanctuary. In other words, they went in unauthorized. The opposite of Ayikra. That, what did it say? We just learned that Moshe Rabbeinu, it says no one was able to enter. It says that when the Onan came, it says, Moshe couldn't come in. So why didn't Moshe come in? The message says, we learned from your Derecherz, don't come, don't enter unless you're called. Moshe entered only after he's called. Before Moshe entered, he was called by Hashem. It also tells us Vayikra El Moshe tells us something else besides all that we've learned that the only one that heard it was Moshe himself. Nobody else heard the sound. The call came only to Moshe. The sound emanated that far. It was a powerful sound, but only Moshe was able to hear it, and Moshe entered. Now with this we could put it all together. Not of Navi Pashat. Why did they enter? They entered. Why did they killed Pashat in Pasha Shmini over there? Is they entered unauthorized? Therefore they were killed. Unauthorized entry, unlike Moshe. He says like this. Where did they learn to enter unauthorized? They learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu. How did they learn from Moshe Rabbeinu? Firstly, they saw Moshe enter without being called. They also saw Moshe say Vayikra. Moshe didn't want to say Vayikra. 
and they felt themselves as great as, well, Moshe could do it, we can do it. So they learned from Moshe to do it. Let's read inside. We know that they were as great as Moshe, as it says when Moshe told Aaron that it says, uh, that Hashem is going to be sanctified through the Holy Ones. I thought it was going to be either me or you. Instead, I see it's not of Naviyu, because they are as great. So we learned from this that not of Naviyu were on this level of Moshe and Aaron. As it says, They're great of us. But they didn't know Moshe only entered one call. But they didn't hear the call. As Rashi says, Moshe heard, the rest of the Jews didn't hear. But the Kasha is, If they're as great as Moshe, why didn't they hear what Moshe heard? So he says like this, Moshe a very simple thing. There's another message. The Medrash says that when Moshe was called, the very, very first call of Moshe Rabbeinu was by the burning bush. What happens? Moshe Rabbeinu says, let me go see this great sight, this great vision. And what happens over there? He says, oh. Hashem calls him again. Right? Terms of endearment. Vayikra, Vayomer Hinein. So your question is, is it the only place that says Vayikra? Well, here's another place, but again, it means terms of endearment here. Vayikra, Moshe says, Moshe, Moshe, Hineini. What happens over there? It says, Vayaster Moshe Ponov. Moshe hid his face. Kiyore mehabit elohim. He was afraid to look at God. Moshe turns his face away. He's afraid to look. Hashem says, You're the man for the job. This humility of the person that I call you, and you're afraid to look at God. That's what I want. You are the person the person for the job. And throughout the entire dialogue between Hashem and Moshe, we see this character come through where Moshe Rabbeinu feels inadequate. And Hashem says, no, you're the man for the job. And Moshe says, no, no, send somebody else. Moshe, you're the man for the job. His humility comes shining through from the very beginning where Hashem calls him and he hides his face. Says the Medrash, and I think it's a Gemara and Brachas also, right, it's a Gemara and Brachas, we learned in Nein Yaakov, where it says, that in merit of Ayaster Moshe Ponov, because Moshe hid his face, Zoho Levidaber Hashem and Moshe Ponim El Ponim. By the same term is used. Because Moshe hides his face, the merit is Moshe is spoken to by Hashem Ponim El Ponim, face to face. So we see there's a, there's a direct correspondence between Moshe's humility and Hashem speaking to him. And that's why it says the words may hapit. He was afraid to look. What does it say? Same word is used. Again, in merit of Moshe hiding his face. He spoke. Because of he didn't want to look. He was able to look at the face of Hashem. So therefore, if that's the case, and this is also part of the Gemara, he doesn't bring it out anymore. What it says, Tumunas Hashem, the vision of God, he saw something, he saw that nobody else did see. Whatever the, the Kesher shall fill, whatever he saw, he saw something. Now the Gemara continues over there, and then Yaakov over there speaks about it also. It's the same thing Yaakov says over there. But in, but in contrast, not of an they looked 
where they shouldn't have. They looked beyond where they shouldn't have looked. Therefore, they didn't merit all of this. So, so not of Navi who could have been as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. But Moshe Rabbeinu merited all these things because of his humility. Therefore, by Moshe not looking, was able to look. And when the voice came and emanated, Moshe heard it. They, because of their arrogance, they wanted to look more than they should have. They didn't hear the sound. That just precipitated a greater sin where they entered unauthorized, which is in keeping with what they've been doing. But again, it's like most people. You know, you'll always, everybody will always interpret history according to his vision of things. They see Moshe Rabbeinu entering, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu is also unauthorized. We can also enter unauthorized. And words, this buttresses and reinforces their mistake. And in a sense, that's what the small alf is. Because without the alf, it's by Ikar. It's Mikra. It's happenstance. You could just walk in. They could walk in. They saw the Vayikar. They didn't realize that the reason why there's a Vayikar is because it's a small alf. It's because of Moshe's humility that he was able to enter and that they weren't entered and they just kept reinforcing their mistake and they entered. That's why they died. So therefore it says, they were violation of the sin of to look at God. They attempted to see, to look. Which was improper. Therefore they were not on the level of Moshe and they weren't able to get the Kriya of Moshe and therefore they didn't hear the sound emanating when it called Moshe. They therefore compounded their error by thinking that Moshe entered without permission. Therefore, they themselves entered without permission, and therefore they were punished for it. So in a way, they sinned by looking and not really understanding, like they tried to right. Moshe. So therefore, what Chazal say and Poshpshat is the same. Chazal say they died because of looking. But the Pasha tells us that they died for unauthorized entry. But the two are the same thing. The reason why it was unauthorized entry is because they looked. The reason why they compounded their error is because they looked. And therefore they compounded the third step by thinking Moshe the same way when Moshe was just the opposite. Moshe was given authorized entry because he didn't want to look. It's the small aleph. That's the key to the deal. Beautiful pshat. Nechsam Seifer. comes out from Nechsam Seifer that the small aleph is of extreme significance. Because it tells you all of these things. It tells us their mistake. Their mistake was that they didn't see the aleph at all. They only saw the Vayikor, so therefore they took that as permission to enter. They also didn't see that the Alp was small. Maybe that's why they didn't see it, because they were interpreting history the way they wanted to. So they didn't even bother looking at the small Alp. The truth is humility. They didn't see the humility that has to be part of it. And the reason why there was a Vayikor, and it also goes with the other Pshat of Vayikor. There's all these Pshat and Vayikor. The sound emanated, but only to Moshe, not to anybody else. It only went this far. Moshe was given um, special authorization to enter Vayikor. We learned from this the lesson that you should not enter unauthorized. We also know from this the terms of endearment. But all that results from Moshe Rabbeinu's small aleph. Because he didn't want to look over there and he humbled himself, he made a small aleph of himself. That's why he merited having this endearment term used for him. That's why he was given authorization to enter. And that's also why by him it was always by Iker, as we had the Ksav Cyprus shot earlier, where the Ksav Cyprus says that Moshe Rabbeinu was always in a state of preparation. And therefore, for him, Vayikor is correct as well. In a sense, it was an unauthorized entry to Moshe. Because, as we said earlier, Hashem. Stand here. Stand over here, and let me listen to the word of Hashem. Moshe was always in a state of preparation. So Moshe was always Vayikor. He was always able to enter unauthorized, so to speak. Because he was always in this preparatory phase. But that all resulted from the small aleph, which they didn't see. If you don't have that small aleph, then you lose it all. If you don't have that one everything else remains zero.
without that small aleph. How, so how did they get to where they were? Well, it seems that they, they must have had it to an extent, but it seems that they had a lot of other qualities. This is the one thing that they lacked, at least to the point of where they wound up breaking beyond their boundaries, beyond where they were allowed to go. What and that's an indication of that. So that's what Ksav Seifer says. Ksav Seifer says Aaron was very humble, but it still wasn't Moshe. Moshe was unique. <laughs> Moshe was unique. So now we have one understanding of the Aleph, and we also see how the Aleph relates to Vayikra. Because that's what Vayikra is all about, Karbonus, the humility, the humbleness. In Vayikra is where we had the death of Nod of Naviu. We had the dedication ceremonies. All of these things are in Vayikra. Now, I guess because of the Shalom Zohar tonight, we should learn the next chapter, the small Aleph. <coughs> Let's read the rest of the words of the Messiah on the left in the middle. It's from the Medrash and Eicha. Aleph de Vayikra Zira, small Aleph. See how beloved children are before our Kodesh Baruch. Young children. Tinoikis, of course, means sucking ones. Golsa Sanhedrin, when the Sanhedrin went into exile, Loi Golsa Shechino Iman. Shechino didn't go with them. Golu Mishmaras, Loi Golsa Shechino Iman. Kivin Shagolu Tinoikis, when the children went into exile, Golsa Shechino Imohem. Shechino went with them, as it says in the Pasuk. The the children were taken into captivity by the enemy. The next passage says, Out of Zion went all of its beauty, all of its um, glory. refers to Hashem. So what do we see from those Psukim in Eicha? When the children left, the Shechino left, Hashem left. So therefore, Says the you make a small olive. What does a small olive have to do with anything? So what do we see? Let's read the bottom part. We see clearly that the shechina is dependent on the children that learn Torah, and therefore from their holy speech, there is no sin. So that's why those shechina amongst the Jewish people. So he brings down from the Sefer Bear Yosef, Shomar Kodesh Baruch, where it says like this. This Vayikra, and what does it have to do with the small Aleph over here with the beginning of Vayikra? What does this all have to do with anything? Terence says, where did the sound of Hashem emanate from? We just got done saying, when the Mishkan was erected, the Mishkan was the glory of Hashem, the Shekhinah descended over there, and the voice of Hashem emanated from there, and nobody could enter unless called. Even Moshe Rabbeinu. The two Chorubim, right. The Nayarati L'chosham, because it says over there in uh, in Parshas Truma, I shall make myself known to you there. I'll speak the Kaporis from between the two Kruven. from the Kruven that are on the Oron that contains the Luchos. The Gemara is my Kruv. What is the Kruv? Omar Ravabo Karavia. Like a tino, a child. She came of all currently in Nukaravi because that's the way they refer to it. That's what the Gemara in Sukkot Hay says that the Kruvim were in the shape of children, and that's where the voice of Hashem emanated from the Kruvim that were on top of the Oran, on top of the Torah. Remez Yesh Bedover. The Remez is Sheschus Atinoikis, that because of the merit of the children, that's why Hashem places the Shechina between the Kruvim. 
In other words, in the children's learning of the Torah, that's where Hashem Shechina is. We find a similar concept. We know that B'Sha'as Matan Torah, it was the collateral offered by right, the children, their co-partnership. That's why Hashem gave the Torah to Yisrael. As the Medrash says on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Perakeh, that says, From the mouths of children and babies, you have established strength. What does it mean you have established strength? Strength refers to Hashem Oiz Hashem gave His people Oiz, strength, refers to the Torah. So what does it mean that on the count of children you establish strength, you establish the Torah? Says the Medrash, when Hashem was going to give the Torah to Nuli Araven. Give me proof, give me co-signers. Shed the was the Torah. How do I know you're going to keep the Torah? So they said, let our forefathers be our co-signers. He says, They got to pay their old debts. They're not going to be able to have enough credit for somebody else. So therefore, what should we give you? A whole long Medrash. Medrash ends off saying, So what can we give you? Give me your children. They brought the children. Kids, you're going to accept it on yourself. Because if you don't keep the Torah... It's going to be suffering. Never children could suffer, and they accepted it. Says Hashem, through your mouth, because you accept the Torah. That's why there's going to be Torah given to the Jews. That's what the pasuk says. From the mouths of babes, out of the mouths of babes, babes, he started to ice. You have established the Torah, the strength of the Jewish people. Now we can understand what the small Aleph has to do with any, everything. Aleph Zira. The word Zira in Aramaic means small, right? Small Aleph. The word Aleph means not only in Aramaic, but in Hebrew means to teach. Aleph. As it says, the Pasuk, I will teach you wisdom. It's a Pasuk in Eov. I will teach you children. I'll teach you Chochmah. In Cain, what it tells us over here, that with the merit of the Aleph Zira, it's a small Aleph, the merit of the learning of the small. Small Aleph, Aleph means learning. It's the learning of the small kids. That's why we have the Torah. That's why we have the Shechina that came down from Shmei Shemayim that dwells within our midst and that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu taught us the Torah. That's why there's a small Aleph over here because we just got done saying he erected the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan, the Shechina speaking from where? It's speaking from the two Kruven. Where does the Shechina emanate from? From the small, from the small children, by Yikrael Moshe, who calls to Moshe? What calls to Moshe? Why does Hashem call to Moshe? He calls to Moshe in the merit of the Torah that's being taught to the children. Let's now take a look at the Kliyakar on top. The Kliyakar brings down another interesting medrash, which ties in very well with this as well. All the way on top left, from the Alkut Masik. It's also medrash Tanhuma and Parshas Tzav that says Loma Maschilin Hatinoikis Lilmoid Min Parshas Korbanos. There's a custom in many places where they start teaching children in first grade Sefer Vayikra. So what they do in a lot of places is because Vayikra is very difficult to teach kids is they learn a, first, a few Pesukim with them then they go back to teaching them whatever they want. But in order to keep the tradition they start kids off with Vayikra. So the, the Medr says why do you start children with Vayikra? Ma Korbanas Tahir Mavti Noikis came. Just as Korbanas are, have to be pure the children are pure. 
the word keves, which means a lamb, also if it's spelled with the samach, means to wash. So the lamb that's a year old is to wash off your sins and make you like a year old babe. To make you a tinik ben shana. For that reason you have the small aleph here. Namely, to tell us this lesson as well. Remez This is where they should start learning. You want the little kids, the little alephs, to start learning from Vayikra. This should be the number one learning. The first learning should be Vayikra. So you start kids off learning Vayikra. And not only does Aleph mean number one, this should be the first learning, but the word Aleph, as we just pointed out, means to teach. As is Aleph Chochma. Remez. Now, so he says a different remez with this. That learning will only, you need a small aleph, a small learning. You got to make yourself an honor like Moshe Rabbeinu did if you want to learn Torah. If you want to learn Torah and be successful at it, you got to humble yourself. Now, why did Moshe get the Vayikra? Because he made himself small. He ran away from, from uh, leadership. And that's why he merited to have this. So the Kliyakar tells us a number of Pshatim. The small Aleph represents the small number one, namely that the number one learning, the first learning of the Ketanan, of small children, the Aleph Zira, the small children, their learning, the number one, their first learning should be from from Kotshim should be from learning Vayikra. Say Vayikra is what small children should learn. So there's a small aleph in Vayikra to tell you that the small children should start and begin their learning with this. The truth is the remez that he uses that aleph means to learn to teach. Aleph like uh, like the pasuk that he brings down is Elfocha Chochma. I'll teach you wisdom. Or like the Gemara says in Masechet Shabbos, Aleph Beis, Aleph Bina. So one could also say that the small aleph therefore means the small children's learning, the learning of the small children, and the teaching of the small children should likewise be in Vayikra. But he also says that it's a remez that if you want to be successful in, in learning, to be successful in learning, you have to diminish your own aleph. You have to make small your own aleph, yourself. Only if you make yourself small will you be successful in what the word aleph means, which is to learn. Likewise, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, for making himself small and becoming the Onav, as we've explained earlier, was Zaycha to the special calling of Vayikra, as we've explained earlier, the endearment that Vayikra represents was merited by Moshe because he made himself small. This lesson of the Aleph Zira, the small Aleph, representing the importance of children learning Torah, and what the Medrash and Eicha says, that once the children left, the Shechina leaves. In other words, that the Kal Yisrael merits having the Shechina only in the schus of children learning Torah. Likewise, the Medrash and Shir Hashirim, as well as in Tillin, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu was only willing to give Kal Yisrael the Torah in the merit of the children carrying on the tradition and the guarantee of the children learning Torah. We can take this and expand upon it and take it one step beyond. Pesach is coming up. We have a minig in the, in the Seder to break a matzah, yachatz. We put away the larger portion for later tzafun. That represents the fact that it's a lechem oinitz, a prusa, 
that in a sense, Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim was only a half matzah, it was only a half redemption. The ultimate future redemption, the greater part of the redemption is Tzafun, is still hidden for the future. We know that for this reason, says the Beis HaLevi, Moshe Rabbeinu was hesitant and accepting upon himself the mission to take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim because he knew that it was only going to be if he takes out Klal Yisrael a partial temporary redemption whereas there's going to be still goals following that's why we have Yachatz we break the Matzitz do Prusitz Lechem Oini we still have a redemption to look forward to we still have Tzofun perhaps this is the reason why we have a Minig that children steal the Afikaymen because in a sense that tells us that what's the guarantee for the future redemption not only is the children's learning Torah the cause of why we were given the Torah not only do we say that as long as children learn Torah we have and we have the Mishkan and we have the Shechina by us but once the children leave but of Klal Yisrael is going to be dependent on continuing this transmission process to the children to give them the words of Torah to give over to the next generation they are going to be the cause for the Tzafun in a sense they steal the Afikaymen we break the matzah in half what's going to be the guarantee who brings back the matzah by the end who brings back that Tzafun who brings back the future redemption the children if we continue with the Aleph Zira, teaching the children Torah will be Zeichet to have Avoidus HaKarbonus again that's why Yova Tahirim Visasku Bataras, children that are Tahar, are the ones to learn Sefer Vayikra, because it's going to be in their merit that ultimately the Avoidus HaKarbonus and Chumish Vayikra is going to be irrelevant again. After all, why teach children Vayikra? It's irrelevant nowadays. Teretz is, they're, they're going to be the ones making it relevant again. They steal the Afikoyim, they steal the Gula Asida.